The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, they took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took Jesus into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord. Lord. Jesus Christ. Okay. So old Abraham was not really cut out to be a family man. 
The story goes in the book of Genesis that Abram, his name before God decided to change it, Abram had become a very wealthy man by the standards of the day. He had a beautiful, movable tent that he could follow his, his uh, herds with so that they could graze wherever the grass was best. He had lots and lots of, of sheep and goats and stuff that made a good life for him. Uh, you know, and they even says he had lots of silver and gold, whatever that might have meant in those times. And maybe best of all, he had a beautiful wife, Sarah. But there was one problem with poor Abraham, especially as he aged, and his wife Sarah. They really were never able to have a family. You know, for whatever reason, they always blame it on the woman in those times, well, until recent times, but you know, they just weren't able to have kids. And so they lived the entirety, really, of their lives. By this time, according to the biblical calendar, they've already got 99 years under their belt. And, and no son from the two of them, no child, no daughter. And so for old Abraham, you know, it just seemed like he was not cut out to be a family man. His family, such as it was, you know, Sarah, Abram, a bunch of goats and some slaves and all that kind of stuff, would have been considered an incomplete family, may we say. Would be considered a non-traditional family, perhaps. You know, to not have kids also meant that you carried with you for your entire life a great deal of shame because the presumption was that if you did not have children, God was punishing you in some way. You had done something wrong to merit this lack in your life, this barrenness in your life. And so, though he had lots of money, though he had lots of sheep and lots of goat, though his wife was beautiful, even into her old age, anyone else that knew them would always have been sort of murmuring under their breaths about whatever it was that Abram and Sarah had done or not done to merit this punishment from God. That shame must have been a terrible burden, must have made them feel excluded from everyone else, must have made them feel like in some way they were great failures in life, and certainly their family, such as it was, was very, very incomplete. God comes to Abram one night, probably in one of those mystic dreams that happen in the scriptures from time to time, and, and he says, Abram, wake up. I've got a little chat that I want to have with you. And so Abram wakes up, and they have this little discussion with God, and God says to Abram, God, Abram, you know, um, I've got a job for you to do. And Abram says, what would that be? <laughs> God says, I want you to be a father of many nations. And Abram says, well, that's a good joke, God, because up till now you haven't even made me a father in any sense of the word. You've deprived me of family. You've heaped shame upon me. So what's this now at 99 years of age? Father business. <laughs> he doesn't buy it, at least not initially. Well, God insists and he explains a little bit that he's God and Abraham isn't. That, that as God, 
He's a God who can give life and who does give life. He's a God who heals. He's a God who brings life out of barrenness. He's a God who brings new life out of death in a sense. He's a God who can wipe away shame because he is God. And, and he says to Abraham, now listen to me again. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be the father of my people. What I want from you is simple. What I want from you is faithfulness. Believe in me, trust in me, be my friend. Be my coworker. Trust that I can do what I say I'm going to do, and what I'm going to do is give you that son you've been waiting 99 years for. And Abraham says, well, okay, we'll see about that. A little bit of time passes. Not long after that, Abraham and Sarah are visited by three visitors, angels of God, later traditions in the Christian church says the Trinity itself. And they come, they ask for hospitality. Sarah and Abram offer them all the hospitality they can afford. And at that point, they are promised that within a short time, Sarah, now 99 or 100 years old, is going to bear the son that they wanted all along. And that that son will be the beginning of something great. That God is going to do something wonderful through that son. And ultimately it is he will make a great nation of Abraham and his progeny. As many as the stars in the sky at night. Abraham says yes. Sarah says yes. And thus even from the beginning in the book of Genesis, we are taught by this story and the others that follow that God is the one who makes families. That it is God's grace, God's power, God's love, whatever designation you want to call it, God's creation, creative power and grace. That, that takes non-families, non-traditional families, dysfunctional families, incomplete families, and blesses them with life so that they can be blessings to others. That pattern repeat, repeats throughout, throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. You know, there's Ruth and there's Rebecca and there's Hannah and, and later on when we get to the New Testament, yes, the same pattern continues. Elizabeth in her old age conceives a child by God's hand. And then there's little Mary who we just finished, well, we're still celebrating. Talk about a non-traditional family. You know, she's not even married yet. She's uh, almost certainly, as she gets bigger and bigger, having received the Holy Spirit and having a baby growing in her womb without the benefit of marriage. And you can imagine the chatter around the community well as ladies are gathering to do their, you know, collect their water for the day. You can imagine what they were saying about little Mary it probably wouldn't have been very kind. But that's God's way. 
That's how God does it. That's how God does family making among us human beings, and especially among us who are people of faith. Families are never perfect. Families are always incomplete. Families are always broken in one way or another. There's always a certain barrenness in every family. <laughs> Whatever family is, God brings life out of them. It's God's blessing and God's grace and God's love that allows them to become a family. It's the work of God, not of us. We have to collaborate and cooperate, of course, but it's God who gives us life. It's God who bonds us together. It's God who blesses us so that we can be blessings for others. Each one of the children in those stories, from Abraham and on to the prophet Samuel and, and to, to Samson and later John the Baptist and Jesus himself, you know, they're, they're products of God's work. It is God who has created them and given them life and made them huge blessings to do his work on this earth. Untraditional, incomplete, broken families that they might have been. And, and that's important for us. This isn't just stuff that goes back, you know, to the Old Testament or the New Testament. That powerful insight of the scriptures that our families are bond together by God and he's the one who makes the love happen there and he's the one who brings grace and blessings out of those families imperfect though they are applies obviously to us because our families are incomplete because our families have all kinds of brokenness in them What's the favorite adjective added to the word family in our times? Dysfunctional. Of course our families are dysfunctional because we're imperfect. But it is God who binds us together and brings love out of that brokenness. It is God who brings life out of our barrenness. It is God who binds us together and makes families out of us. And not just our own nuclear families, but it is God who makes a family out of the church in our church's brokenness, in all of the things that we don't do well and all of the things that divide us and, and make us cranky and angry and far from the Christian people we are supposed to be. Yet God makes a family out of us. Single people, married people, all kinds of people. Come on in. We're a family because God has blessed us with a gift of communion and love and blessings galore. And so on this feast of the holy family, the holiness of family does not come from us. It comes from God. God is the one who heals us. God is the one who blesses us. God is the one who gives us life and love without end. And for that, we continue to rejoice in these Christmas days that God continues to bless us with the gift of life, with the gift of love, indeed, the gift of holy familiness.